0: Compliance Clarified,
1: a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.
0: Hello and a very warm welcome to Season 3, Episode 8 of Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond and I'm Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert here at TRRI. Now, in this eighth episode of Series Three, we're taking a look again at cryptos and updating on both developments in the US and the evolving picture for central bank digital currencies. And the third element of our conversation will be a debate as to whether or not all things crypto are actually regulatable, or is that mission impossible? Now, for this conversation, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by my Cryptos Report co author, Todd Errett.
1: Thanks for having me, Susanna. Not a problem.
0: Now, hardly a financial headline goes past without somebody mentioning cryptos, and crypto assets have become the proverbial double-edged sword amongst financial experts. The rise and deployment of crypto assets has pushed digital transformation and, to be fair, has the potential to make payments and transfers way more efficient. But there is a but and a challenge. The speed and reach of such transactions together with the potential for anonymous activity and transactions without financial intermediaries, also makes crypto assets vulnerable to misuse, potentially raises the risk of money laundering. Now, financial services firms, regulators and policymakers alike are all having to come to terms with how to deal with all of this and basically the rise of a whole new class of product. And not helped by the fact there is a lack of an internationally consistent definition as to what actually is a crypto. Now, what might well be the ultimate game changer for the crypto marketplace is the potential for central bank digital currencies. Now, here, let me be clear, at least according to the G7, CBDCs are not crypto assets, Crypto assets are not something that are issued by a central bank. They can be highly volatile and are not currently widely used for payments. And CBDCs are seen as fundamentally different from the privately issued digital currencies such as stablecoins, which are a liability of private entities that seek to maintain stability in their price, typically in relation to stable assets such as fiat currency. But the fundamental question remains, how an earth you regulate these things? We're back to the Mission Impossible statement. I mean, most of these things are designed not to be regulated. They have been innovated away from regulation. So let's actually start with central bank digital currencies, because that could be the way all of this comes into focus, but we will see. Now, CBDCs are something that pretty much everybody is thinking about, but very few central banks have actually committed to them. And there's a survey by the Bank of International Settlements from late last year saying 86% of global central banks are conducting research on CBDCs. But as of July 2021, 56 central banks have publicly communicated their research or development efforts. However, as of November 2021, only two central banks have launched CBDCs with a heap more conducting pilots. That said, the launch of CBDCs, I think, is likely, but not certainly definitely going to be just a question of time. It is unquestionably, at the moment, the direction of travel. And to set the scene a little more, there is considerable focus on the potential for retail CBDCs, which would be a digital form of central bank money denominated in the national unit of account, distinct from electronic reserves, which couldn't be accessed by individuals, and physical cash. And as a direct liability of the central bank, CBDCs would also be distinct from commercial bank money. And therefore, if issued CBDCs as a form of central bank money, could act as a liquid safe settlement asset and as an anchor for the payment system, just like ordinary fiat currency. <laughs>
1: with with that all said, uh, Susanna, um, where, kind of give me an overview where, where do you see the progress thus far, you know, globally from a CBDC, uh, yeah. you know, picture in, in the U S it's, it, yeah, I, I think it's actually becoming a little bit political uh, to a certain extent. But, uh, you know, what's it look like globally?
0: It's a really mixed bag of a picture. I'll I'll, I'll run around the world fairly briskly here. And now, I'll, I'll start in Asia. And Asia has a number of ce- central banks de- delving into the p- potential for CBDCs. Now, it could be said that the People's Bank of China has taken something of a lead on this for the ECNY, so the digital yuan. They began that in 2014, and they've conducted 10 pilots in retail settings. That The sense is that they would like this to really fly in China ahead of the Winter Olympics, which are very early spring next year. Now, the digital yuan is meant to replace cash as legal tender and will adopt a two-tier system under which the central bank issues the CBDC to commercial banks, which then distribute to the public. Hong Kong Monetary Authority, also thinking about it, issued a technical white paper on the development of the E Hong Kong dollar in October. Thailand regulators are expected to focus on research and development next year, so 2022. Uh, very recently, just in November, the Monetary Authority of Singapore published a paper assessing the economic considerations in the Singapore context for retail CBDCs. Absolutely crystal clear in that, that the MAS is not committing to the issuance of CBDCs, but, and I'll I'll give you a quick quote from it, The world is coming to a crossroads in the evolution of money and payments. Like many central banks around the world today, MAS is considering how best to respond to the emergence of new forms of money delivered by potentially dominant payment service providers alongside the decline in the use of cash. That, I think, really does sum up where we are with this. Gosh, I'm going around the world very quickly here. Right, Middle East. Central Bank of UAE, United Arab Emirates, completed... Very successfully, Project ABER, which was a proof of concept study, and it's continuing to explore the feasibility of distributed ledger solutions and is looking, for instance, at cross-border fund transfers with the Saudi Central Bank. Also in November, so also very recently, um, here in the UK, Bank of England and Her Majesty's Treasury issued a joint statement saying that they're going to take the next steps in the exploration of a UK CBDC. And specifically, they have said that in 2022, they're going to launch a consultation on the case for UK central bank digital currency, which will evaluate the main issues. So high level design features, possible benefits, implications for users and businesses and considerations for further work. They led a bit more detail around that and have said that if the exploration phase goes well, it will move to a development and feasibility phase but they've made clear that the very earliest date for a launch, they haven't committed to anything, but the very earliest date for a launch would be the second half of the decade, so 2025 at the very earliest. And then just to move to the Americas, we will leave the US to, for the conversation with Todd a bit more, um, Peru has announced that it's coordinating its efforts on central bank digital currencies with the likes of Singapore, uh, India and Hong Kong. So. Around the world, it very quickly uneven, but lots of work going into this, and lots of consideration as to what the art of the possible might be. So, having said that, Todd, and and I slightly hesitate to say this because there's <laughs> so much to say about U.S. and CBDCs. What is happening in the U.S. on all of this?
1: Um, <clears throat> but uh, before I get started. Um you know kind of drilling down in the on the CBDC b- debate in the United States um I want to throw out basically you know the bigger picture of uh of you know digital assets or digital currencies Cl- clearly from a regulatory standpoint you know the trading of bitcoin or you know crypto assets is is a focus for the regulatory regimes uh, you know the the SEC CFTC um, those regulators certainly are going to move forward with some sort of regulatory push to, you know, oversee, call it the crypto asset trading universe, you know, the the, the big trading platforms. Um, I think people also need to understand the difference between, you know, crypto assets, Bitcoin, and, and you know, I'm kind of um, simplifying things here for maybe our, our less uh, sophisticated or less highly you know, in-depth crypto audience, um, you, you, you have, you know, your bitcoins and cryptocurrencies. You also have stablecoins, which the president's working group just published a report recently on stablecoins. Um, there's also, you know, the whole universe of NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which we're, we're not even going to touch on today. You then also have the government push, which is the central bank digital currency aspect um which you know that's our primary emphasis today um you know for discussion so this is a really big if you look at it holistically digital assets it has multiple fronts um as as i have said you know repeatedly this this is like a a really all-encompassing transformational um change that the regulators have to attack from a lot of different angles in different different areas. You know, just the CBD or excuse me, just the um uh stablecoin discussion that was released last week or two weeks ago now um the stable coin you know, it raises the question, well, what's the difference between e-money and, and stablecoin? E-money is very, very present. You know, the PayPal's of the world, for example, Square and these other payment, pro- payment systems. Well, the difference between a stablecoin and an e-money is essentially yeah, really technology-based, you know, whether it's an open or closed environment, you know, is it a, a third-party wallet or is it... Um, you know, issuer hosted wallets. The These are all kind of technical differences. And I think from a regulatory standpoint, what they really wanna drill down on is, um, you know, if somebody's issuing a stable coin, is it really backed, is it insured? And then is there gonna be some sort of, let's say systemic risk associated with it if there were a run on it or things like that? I think um, regulators view stable coins as, you know, if you're going to call it the equivalent of a money market fund, you've got to basically run it like a money market fund or as a bank deposit. Um, and you're not going to skirt the rules. So that, that is a whole nother debate or policy effort that's going to have to um, have to take place going forward. From a central bank digital currency perspective, I think um, it's become pretty clear here um, in the U.S., um, there's a bit of a division um, as to, you know, as you mentioned, let's, re- let's weigh the benefits versus, you know, the considerations, which, i.e. risks. You know, there's a lot of risks associated with it. Um, risks of, you know, um, call it cyber security, um, hacking, um, things like that. Um, and then mainly data privacy, um, that this, you know, China's leading the way um, with the digital yuan, um, but privacy is not uh, anything that gets debated in, in China. In the United States, it's it's a much different story. Um, does the Federal Reserve or the government have the right to monitor absolutely every transaction um, happening, you know, on an individual basis? Um, so there's, there's going to be a, b- a very big debate over you know the privacy and uh, and then also, like I said, the security aspect. I mean, can you imagine? It would be the hack of all times, or the cyber breach of 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 the greatest proportion imaginable. If the United States Central Bank digital currency got hacked, and <laughs> you know, so so there's there's a lot of considerations, and I I see what's what's starting to unfold is as Congress starts to See the benefits and the potential. There's part of Congress who's now advocating for it, saying this can be used as a um, as a platform to allocate resources or not allocate resources. Can we use it for payments? Can we award certain parts of society for things like ESG efforts, or can we penalize certain parts for people who are not, you know, participating in a positive way, um, which I I see basically a really big debate about to unfold over, you know, the pros and cons of CBDCs, particularly in the United States.
0: Yes, and and, and I, I would add into that debate. I mean, if for, you know, their considered reasons, the U.S. decides not to do a central bank digital currency, but the rest of the world does, that raises a whole bunch of other questions that firms will have to tackle and deal with. And, you know, their compliance officers will be front and center on how you under, you manage that schism, for want of a better word. Because, I mean, the U.S. is the biggest financial service market on the planet. If it chooses not to do something that everybody else is doing, that has
1: a massive impact. Mm-hmm. Huge impact. I, I, I wonder, um, and like I said, this is this is going to unfold probably over the next several years, Um it's gonna be a slow and methodical and hotly debated approach. Um, I don't think there's any way to completely not do it, but it's it's the magnitude and, you know, the size of which the the effort is undertaken. Uh, You know, is it far reaching? Is it truly transformational? Or is it simply another tool or something that is developed? and, and I think that's almost kind of an argument from a global perspective. You know, uh, you know, are they widely adopted or not? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, d- does the does the public, you know, it, you know, embrace it? Um, it, it? It remains to be seen. You know, in the United States, there's been a lot of debate over the last, you know, six months or so Um over a lot of proposals, some of them are tax-related. Some of them are related to monitoring of bank accounts. Um, you know, a couple of the different uh, spending bills in Congress um, have uh, put forth proposals to where the bank industry has to monitor and report, you know, even small checking or savings accounts um, and report that to the IRS. Um, this is a, a transformational change that uh, is is really hotly debated right now. I'd agree.
0: And, and you know, coming back to, to central bank digital currencies before we turn to cryptos, cr- straight up cryptos, um, unless central bank digital currencies are absolutely interoperable, they also don't work. Because if you can't swap a digital sterling for a digital euro, say, what how does that work then? It's not fiat, not an equivalent of fiat currency at that point. So, I mean, there is so much that will go into these research and analysis and then potentially development phases of all of this. But one of the absolute central threads will need to be international cooperation and coherence. Um, And that's no small feat in and of itself. I mean, as we know, international coherence is not necessarily a given in anything. So that's got to be another element of this as well.
1: I I would also add... um... I, because of the potential for disruption um, you know if it were widely adopted um, the potential for disruption in let's say the global payments system you know how disruptive would it be to the global banking industry um, you know what is their role to play in in this new you know utopian universe of central bank digital payments and everything else I I there i would assume that there will be an incredible lobbying effort by the financial services industry um to make sure that they somehow have a role in it they, mm-hmm. they're not going to simply give up global all of the time money and resources that they have built into aml kyc and global payments and surveillance um you know all, all of these areas you know and it raises all kinds of questions you know if if right now the current system is monitoring, you know, AML, KYC, and, you know, counter-terrorist financing and everything else. How, how does all of that fit into a new, um, you know, revolutionary, to completely new system that potentially is developed? How is the government going to monitor it? And what role will the banks play? I, I think there will be an incredible lobbying effort. And, you know, this is not an easy lift. Um, I, I told some of my colleagues recently, I'm, as I'm studying and looking at all of the bigger picture of the regulatory effort to regulate digital assets, this potentially is bigger than, you know, post-financial crisis Dodd-Frank. Mm-hmm. This, this, is, this is a heavy, heavy lift from a lot of different directions that that are in areas that are truly transformational, that, you know, it's going to require a lot of effort to, to get this stuff right. And, yeah. you know, regulators just don't, you know, move like, you know, just like that. It, it doesn't happen overnight. And, uh, you know, however, at the same time, the digital asset universe is exploding and expanding at, at warp speed in all different directions. Um, it's a, it's really, I think, going to be a fascinating, you know, let's say next five years, mm-hmm. you know, as to how, how all this regulatory framework or picture, you know, uh, unfolds and evolves.
0: And let's be clear, that heavy lift is going to have to have compliance officers and compliance functions front and centre. Because, I mean, as we all know, bad rules, you just have to spend even more time unpicking and making work. So compliance officers need to have that voice of reason. Voice, what is actually going to work in practice? And speaking of, I mean, we, we've talked about the next five years. It's going to be very interesting. Which, goodness me, yes. But so, what is actually happening now in the US in terms of direction of travel on regulation of cryptos? How how are the US regulators <laughs> even slightly beginning to get their arms around all of this?
1: I, I like to say it's kind of an analogy of, uh, you know, fighting a, a forest fire from behind or, you know, the regulators running around with their hair on fire, trying mm-hmm. to keep, trying to keep, on, keep, keep pace. Um, it is a little bit regulation by enforcement and a lot of talk. Um, guidance, discussions, and research. Um, just last week uh, the US Securities and Exchange Commission filed enforcement actions against a couple of digital asset organizations that had filed to create a stable coin, a couple of stable coins. Um, they basically said this is security. Um, and you know, you can't file a you know a registration statement on something that we see is a security, and they said, well, it's not a security. Um, This type of stuff is a back and forth that is going to take years for the courts to decide. Um, You've seen, you know, the largest uh, crypto trading platform in the United States, uh, Coinbase, with, you know, it's tens of millions of users now, and, you know, billions of dollars being transacted every day, um, you know, has had a little bit of a confrontational approach with the SEC saying, you know, we want to do this. And the SEC said, if you do that, we're going to sue you. You know, um, the in the most recent uh, Coinbase earnings report, you know, which we're talking now, Coinbase, I think, is the largest um, exchange in the, in the United States. It's larger than the New York Stock Exchange. It's larger than the NASDAQ. Um, you know, by market capitalization, it is a publicly traded company. I think it is second only to the CME group. Um, so we're talking about a huge, enormous, you know, established now financial institution that is a publicly traded entity with real earnings, uh, profits, revenues that that is uh, you know growing rapidly, um, and they're they they've got a back and forth with the SEC that at times seems a little bit confrontational. Um, in their most recent earnings report, uh, the CEO said they've actually had a productive dialogue, I think were, were the were the terms that he said, um, with, with the regulators. Um, I think at the core, though, you have fundamental differences in viewpoints um, from a regulatory perspective. I think most established firms realize, yes, we need to do AML and KYC. The on-ramps and off-ramps to the traditional financial institutions need to be established and and follow, you know, established rules and regulations from you know the bank, call it the banking industry, um, uh, you know, Financial Action Ta- Task Force, FATF, uh, um, the OCC, um, FinCEN. Yeah, I I think they're they're willing to embrace those rules because the the established big players don't want to see these small-time fraudsters um, give them a bad name. Um, however, there are fundamental differences in opinion here um, as to, you know, like said, you, or like you said at the very start, what is the definition? Is it a commodity? Is it a security? Is it a currency? What are these things and how do they fit into the definitions? So it's 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 going to be a big task.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think anybody is underestimating both the big task, but also the sheer diversity of that task. Um, and, And actually picking up on diversity, I mean, in the US, it can often be a case of state versus federal. Is that also the case for cryptos here? I mean, are the states doing different things to the federal level?
1: I, I yes I, I I see what's happening already. Some of the states have already established some rules and regulations, and some are some states are are trying to I, I would call it first mover advantage, um, make themselves more crypto friendly than other states. Um, Wyoming um, is has one that's uh, has been an early um, um, trendsetter, um, welcoming the industry. Um, however, the two. Um, the, the two uh, um, stable coins that I mentioned earlier that the SEC shot down last week were licensed in Wyoming. So Wyoming had essentially, you know, approved them, but the federal government SEC said no. So you, you've you got this potential, um, you know, regulatory mismatch from a, from a federal versus state level. Um, it's, it, it's gonna take time, and I think if I turn the clock back six months ago or a year ago, um, there was little to no um, concerted or cohesive lobbying effort in Washington on behalf of the crypto universe or crypto industry. That is now starting to change. Um, they are reali- realizing they need to have a unified um Cohesive argument, you know, for lawmakers, and basically, you know, not to uh, be critical of lawmakers, but they need to educate the lawmakers. Um, the lawmakers really, as with almost anybody and everybody, everybody is trying to learn, you know, what what are the ramifications and implications of of what's happening and what's developing here, and how do how do lawmakers write laws. How do regulators um, apply current existing regulations? Are they applicable or not? Um, All of this stuff is gonna take a tug of of war or back and forth um, between the industry and and lawmakers and regulators, and it's gonna take time. And there really is no
0: underestimating the regulatory challenge into this, all of this, because you've got regulators moving at one speed, which is fair enough, but you've got crypto firms innovating and the world, as, as Todd mentioned, just exploding in terms of flavours, shapes, sizes, jurisdictions, borderless transactions, cryptos. And you've got, as another level in all of this, regulators, m- most regulators around the world, trying to be technology neutral because they really don't want to have to keep changing their rules all the time. I mean, that that's a bit bonkers. But, you know, the high level principles for technology neutrality, they have to work. I mean, all regulation has about the same um, aims and objectives, which investor protection, financial stability, minimising systemic risk. But we're entering a whole new playground with this. Uh, You've got such innovation going at such speed. You've got policymakers, regulators, supervisors, politicians, going at a different one. So Todd is, and I know this is a huge question, is this actually regulatable? I realise that may not be perfect English, but maybe a new word, <laughs> regulatable. But, you know, are we back to the Mission Impossible statement, which was, you know, slightly throwaway at the start of this, but is the crypto universe actually regulatable?
1: Um, I think on a certain level it is, um, but I, I think touching on what you just said, this new playground, frankly, is enormous, and it's expanding in all directions. Um, the utility and applications are there. There's something new every day, and these are these are things that were never contemplated um, in you know prior you know, financial services regulations um, you know, on, on many levels. You know, obviously investor protection and systemic risk and, and things like that, you know, are, are key considerations. So is it regulatable or not? Um, it remains to be seen. I think certain aspects are, and I think the the industry, and I say that very broadly because it, it is now become a, you know, an industry, um, I think the, the crypto universe of companies and developers and everything else they they, they keep saying that they they want to know where the guardrails are. They they want regulatory clarity, and I think most of them, most of is obviously the larger established firms, you know, they want certainty. That the last thing they want is to be fighting um, regulators. Um, you know, regulation by enforcement after the fact. Um, it's much better and easier to, to know what the rules are um, and comply with them ahead of time than to have to litigate after the fact. Um, so I think certain aspects are regulatable. Other areas are going to be in this gray area for really the foreseeable future. Um, I, I mentioned, you know, NFTs earlier, non-fungible tokens. This is, this is an entirely, you know, new area Collecting art is not a new area, but, you know, other collectibles and now the digital representation of things um, is happening in a really big way. Well, where does where's the regulatory perimeter or where is that a slippery slope that now regulators are going to want to start regulating you know, the art market, the digital art market, um, things like that, a, a, you know, and where do you draw the line? Is it CryptoKitties or Beanie Babies or digital representations of, of professional athletes or or what have you? This, this really, you know, that just, that's the tip of the iceberg and it's a really, really big iceberg um, when you start looking at it. And then there's there's other, call it non-investment use cases for some of these applications there's smart contracts nfts can be used in in tracking and logistics and basically anything where you want to be able to prove rightful ownership you know titles and things like that so you, so you, you're you're delving into a lot of different waters um you know from a regulatory perspective and that's where you know i go back to my prior statement this is frankly bigger than anything you know the regulators have ever probably ever tackled before. Mm. Um, you know, if I fast forward the clock five or ten years from now, this will be bigger than Dodd Frank. This is th- this is really transformational and it's enormous in scope. Um, so it's going to take time. You know, we're, we're ten years almost ten years after the fact of Dodd Frank, and Dodd Frank is not totally implemented at this point. You know, <laughs> there's still still minutia parts of it that that are still being haggled over. So. Mm. Um, it's it, it's really um, a big deal, and it will keep everybody busy for a long time.
0: Yeah, and and I think I think it's almost got to the stage where it's the philosophical debate as to what actually do we want globally the future yeah. of finance and financial services to be. And I know, I know, we've sort of mentioned compliance and compliance officers throughout this, but again, that will require firms to. And their compliance officers to engage with all of this. I mean, this is yes. not something firms can stand on the side sidelines and just let happen and go past them. You firms have to engage. They have to think about the big, wide, difficult, thorny questions on all of this. Because mm-hmm. if they don't and they don't engage, the world will move on without them and they won't get a voice as to what that world looks
1: like. And and I would I would second that. I think it's also um not not just from a regulatory perspective or a compliance perspective, but these are these are transformational um, you know technologies. Um, if firms don't embrace and be involved in it, you know they could very quickly become dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know if they're not careful. Yes. Um, you know if you know to, to, to really simplify things, if everything goes in one direction and you're still using pen and paper. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it, 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 stock trading is going to change. You know, settlements are going to change. Money transmission. All of these things have, have huge implications that are wildly disruptive. And uh, that's what I said before. I I think there needs to be a, an engagement um, and an embrace of it as to how. How is this going to affect us? And frankly, mm. a lot of these questions are unanswered at this point. But, it, you know, if you're not getting involved, um, you know, you, you, you're carrying serious risks or you're taking on serious risks.
0: Yes. And, and perhaps um, unintended risks, which
1: are the worst yes. sort of all. The the other thing you touched on and I was going to add is from a global perspective. Um, we saw it in the last six months where... China cracked down on crypto mining. Um, They basically have have uh, pushed almost all of the miners out of the country. Um, Those miners have relocated in many cases um, to jurisdictions all over the world. I know I've heard firsthand from people. A lot of the equipment found its way to Canada and found its way to the United States. Bitcoin miners and when I say Bitcoin I mean kind of generically uh, ethereum and other types of cryptocurrencies the mining activities are happening all over the place now um, but within a six-month period of time uh, essentially the Bitcoin miners moved from one part of the world to an entirely new parts of, of the world they you know I think it, if we go back to the first quarter this year 55 or 60% of all the bitcoin mining was happening in china now estimates are let it's it's less than 5% so and and that 5% is probably quickly going to zero because because china has cracked down on it so from a jurisdictional standpoint governments need to look at this is a borderless universe and if we are overly harsh, if we are not cooperative and embracing these technologies, you know, they'll all go to Switzerland or they'll all go to Singapore or they'll all go to whichever jurisdiction, El Salvador, you know, for heaven's sake, because those those jurisdictions are more crypto friendly as opposed to crypto restrictive. And, you know, there's there's big economic and regulatory and legal, um, you know, ramifications that, that are associated with that. Um, you know, are, are you going to take a, a really harsh approach? Well, then you're going to be doing nothing but playing enforcement. And, mm-hmm. you know, and how do you how do you crack down on on things like this? Uh, it, it's you know, th- these are big questions and big challenges.
0: Yeah, and, and I hopefully nobody is underestimating those. So coming to slightly, well, to the end of the podcast, but Todd, in terms of the takeaways for compliance officers, what would you recommend and suggest?
1: Go back to my prior comment that um, you better get up to speed pretty quick and embrace and understand what the implications are. And I know this is not an easy task, but burying your head in the sand is not an option Mm -hmm. um, because your business will get disrupted and or there are potential risks, especially from an AML KYC perspective, counter-terrorist financing. Um, There are laws that are being enforced, you know, particularly in AML. and, and I think there's without a doubt or a question um, that those laws um, are are applicable. Um, they are broadly enough written and they have tweaked those laws to include cryptos. So you cannot go afoul of the of, of what is now becoming established from a regulatory standpoint. Um, but most importantly, you have to have to embrace and mm. engage um, and understand that th- this is a a new evolution of of everything that we've known that is potentially disruptive and uh, you know ignoring it is not the is not an answer
0: I completely agree with that I really do um the other thing I would add into that in terms of a takeaway is, Staying up to date with all of the regulatory developments, and I know that's also no easy task, and that's not just on cryptos, but also on the central bank digital currencies, because things are happening and they're happening at an international level as well as the domestic one. Um, And I mentioned the G7 much earlier on when they were saying Well, CBDCs aren't crypto assets. Well, great. But what the G7 has done is published 13 public policy principles, which they've divided into two parts. And these are really an overlay to all of the developments that are likely to happen on CBDCs. So firms need to be aware of these as well. Now, principles one to eight cover the foundational issues. Principles nine to 13 cover the opportunities. Now, the foundational issues are those sorts of things that any central bank digital currency must demonstrate if it is to compound, as the G7 puts it, the confidence and trust of users. And those include things like preservation of monetary and financial stability, protection of users' privacy, which Todd has talked about, particularly in the US context, strong standards of operational and cyber resilience, avoidance of financial crime and sanctions evasion, and environmental sustainability. On the opportunity side, we're talking about things like innovation, digital economy, financial inclusion, reducing fixtures and cross-border payments. These are things that firms and their compliance officers are all going to have to stay on top of. Um, But as Todd said, it's going to be a very exciting next five years. And on that note, thank you very much, Todd. And thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Clarified. As ever, do hope you found it useful and interesting. I'll include a link in the episode notes to Todd Nye's original crypto special report, together with a couple more blogs and articles on all of this. As ever, another link for further information on Thomson Reuters itself as well. Last but not least, we'd very much appreciate it if you take the time to review the podcast and do let us know for any suggestions for future topics. Thank you for listening. Compliance Clarified,
1: a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.